In this short talk, I provide one account of what socialists mean by the term democratic socialism. I presented this talk at a regional political education training event in June conducted by the National Political Education Committee of the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. The event included members from several chapters in New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, and Maine. The talk is intended as a set of prompts, not as a statement of personal or organizational principles. It is best used in conjunction with the specific readings we used in June and which are linked in the episode notes. What is democratic socialism? For all the political polarization in the US today, 70% of Americans agree that the economic system operates in the interests of the wealthy and powerful, and more than a third lack confidence in basic government institutions. So what would democratic socialism look like? At minimum, it would flip that sentiment. Most of us would have confidence in the government and few would characterize the economic system as rigged in favor of a few. In this session, we'll take a first pass at the details of democratic socialism, what we mean by it, and how to get to it. Let's start with the first reading, describing what we might call Bernie Sanders' New Deal. To that list, I'll take the liberty of adding the right to quality childcare. Why do we call these rights rather than benefits? Because without them, we aren't truly free to exercise our political rights. We're too fearful, suspicious, or just too busy. These economic rights will liberate us from the fear of unemployment and loss of income, which in capitalism, especially the US variety, is the necessary basis of our existence. Put another way, these economic rights will break the existential link between our jobs and the fullness of our lives. They might even make the jobs themselves more rewarding, fulfilling, and socially productive. The next reading by Meyer lays out the kind of structural transformations required to not only get these rights, but also continually deepen them and ensure they, that they stick. Basically, we need an economy that works for us rather than the other way around, and a political system that both facilitates and expresses this change. In other words, we need to own the economy rather than be owned by it. Literally, we will need to wrest ownership of the largest, most influential economic enterprises from the tiny minority who own them currently. And we will also need a measure of economic planning, something not mentioned by Meyer, but considered necessary by many socialists. That is, we'll need to be involved en masse in determining the broad direction and objectives of production, distribution, and consumption. So that's the socialism piece of democratic socialism, ownership plus planning. How do we get there? 
Maya describes the general strategy of DSA as simultaneously promoting socialist or at least social democratic politicians at all levels of government and building a mass base through a militant labor movement and broad coalitions with progressive social movements. Quote, our goal is to get millions of people who have given up on politics to join the struggle, test the limits of what concessions can be won in the here and now, and to persuade our co-fighters on the progressive left that a more ambitious socialist strategy is needed to build the kind of world we all want to live in. Our third reading by Tarnoff places this strategy in the context of historical developments in socialist thinking and practice. Drawing specifically on the work of Pulantzas from the left end of the Eurocommunist spectrum, Tarnoff asserts the necessity of fighting for both state and popular power. He emphasizes the importance of the second as a check on the first. Without truly democratic mass participation in its decision-making, the socialist state will devolve into bureaucracy and authoritarianism. As a concrete example of the tension between the necessity for state power in achieving democratic socialism and the dangers of such power, Tarnoff uses the example of the Green New Deal. Something like the Green New Deal is absolutely necessary to avert the worst effects of climate change. But it will also require sweeping, powerful state interventions that may corrupt even the best-intentioned democratic governments. Note also Tarnoff's discussion of the inevitable tensions in relationships between socialist and non-socialist progressive movements. Finally, and perhaps most directly relevant to our present effort, Tarnoff stresses the importance of continuous education and analysis. The left in the US has not been immune to the country's general anti-intellectualism. But the movement for democratic socialism has to contend with an opposition that commands entire academic disciplines think tanks, and media organizations. Significant victories against this opposition, let alone eventual success, will require our own sustained efforts to analyze and inform. I started with the statement that in a democratic socialist US, most people would trust the government and few would characterize it as operating in the interests of a small minority which is the opposite of the current sentiment among the majority. One way to think about the practical benefits of this is to consider how different the U.S. response to the next pandemic could be if most of us trusted the government because we knew it was operating in our interests. Some basic things, we'd be more trusting of the scientific evidence and relevant expertise be more willing to temporarily sacrifice mobility, uh, wear masks, accept contact tracing, and so on, which would reduce both the intensity and duration of a pandemic. 
it would be easier for us to share the risk of reopening schools for our children. Crucially, there would be a healthier population to begin with, not just because of universal healthcare, but even more basically due to clean air and water and good nutrition. This would be especially important for poor people and people of color who live in polluted and unsafe environments. In capitalism, even the quality of the air we breathe, uh, the water we drink, and the food we eat depends on the color of our skin and how much money we have. Economic planning would mean a planned reduction of employment with extra income available in advance rather than messily and unpredictably uh, during the pandemic. The financial system would prioritize a people's bailout, for example, with rent and mortgage suspensions or cancellations. Our culture would be broadly solidaristic rather than individualistic. We'd understand that our physical, mental, and emotional health depends on that of others. This is an entirely possible future. It is our responsibility as democratic socialists to figure out how to get there.